Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts throughout the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning and hello to everybody. Everybody dropping in digitally. This morning, October 18th, 2020. Have you ever been to one of those classic diners where they have condiments on the table? Ketchup, mustard, salt and pepper. They have those little baskets of saltine crackers. And they've got a massive menu of Americana. So you sit down and you order something that's going to be delicious. Patty melt, butter toasted rye, caramelized onions, gooey cheese, french fries that are placed in real beef tallow, none of this synthetic stuff, good salt, and you even order a side salad, uh, ranch, croutons, carrots, tomatoes, maybe even a vanilla shake to go along with the diner theme. And then you begin to wait for your food, and while you're waiting, you eat about four of those individually wrapped saltine crackers. And then before your food comes, you stand up and you pay for your meal and you walk out and you don't eat the patty melt. Uh, (laughs) This type of online worship (laughs) is like eating the saltine crackers and that's it. And we all know that. We all, we all feel that. And, and yet we're all trying to pull a little something from it, aren't we? Oh, just a fragment of nutrition. Uh, I'm praying that today, this morning, it gives you something tiny for the day. Just something tiny. And I'm, I really am looking forward to the day when we get to eat the patty melt together. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a good day. Uh, this morning we are in the sixth installment of our fall series. It's an eight-week series uh, that we've entitled For One Another. And it's all about a community that loves each other well. We get the big main idea from Jesus himself. And he says this, he says, you will, you will know, or other people will know that you follow me when you love each other well. And so this week we land on this, uh, this topic, this theme for the day, a caring community consistently talks about suffering. A caring community consistently talks about suffering. Now because of that premise, a caring community talks about suffering, I I want to ask this morning, uh, why does a caring community talk about suffering? Um, how How does it help? How does it help? Small caveat here. This is not going to be a teaching of why there is suffering, the classic problem of pain question. I have dozens of sermons on that, but this is not going to be the day for that. 
Okay, It's a great question. It's just not going to be the day for it. So the question we're really asking is, well, why does a caring community talk about suffering a lot? How does it help a caring community? So I've got five things for us this morning, uh, and it's not because these are exhaustive in any way, but it gives us a serving that we can handle for our souls for the day. So why? Why does a caring community consistently talk about suffering? First one is because we suffer. We suffer. Um, We suffer individually and we suffer corporately. There are others who suffer. Uh, We cannot ignore our own suffering. Um, Yes, there is a different weight that is put on every person. Even the same weight put on different people will look differently for the people that it carries. But to ignore your own suffering is to go cold in the heart. We are not striving for stoicism. Stoicism says this, I will never let my heart love enough to be hurt. I will guard as much as possible. I will have tiny hopes so that they can never be dashed. More than that, I think if if you or if I ignore the fact that we are suffering in wherever God has placed us, I, I think when we ignore the suffering, it begins to displace the real problem. I, I've been reading a very difficult book for me. It's called Night Driving by Chad Bird. And he says there, he says, we can't escape our problems because they are not external to us. They are within us. That is a hard realization to come to. But when you realize it, you realize, oh, I do suffer. Uh, Aaron Sorkin uh HBO Newsboys, um, he, he gets at it from a different angle, and he, he wrote something very interesting in that series. He said, you know that you violated the law of God when you can't put it back together. That's another way of talking about suffering. You're at a place where you can do nothing You can control no variable to make your circumstance more favorable. Otherwise, you'd do it. You'd affect it. But we can't. And so there's suffering. There's pain. We have to recognize that we are individually suffering, but everyone else is too. We can't ignore that everyone around us is carrying a great weight. This is especially, I think, difficult for us, for for people who live in healthy, safe places, is that we can, over time, I think we can become unrealistically detached from the problems and the plights of others, even in L.A. I'm constantly reading essays and short stories and collections on the behemoth that is Los Angeles. And a common theme and a common thread that comes up is this question is, what L.A. did you grow up in? Because there are thousands of different L.A.'s. 
It recognizes that one person's idyllic neighborhood with palms and breezes is not an apartment complex in El Monte. So we want to recognize, I suffer. And we want to recognize that every single other person is suffering as well. That's why we talk consistently about suffering. Why does a caring community talk about suffering a lot? Um, number two, uh, we are in an age of suffering. There is a blanket of suffering on the entirety of everything. And I know that's a little redundant. And it will always be in this age, in this part of the story, suffering will always be prevalent. Now, knowing where we are in the story, knowing what age we are, is very, very important for Christians. It's important for a believing community to know this. We are east of Eden. We are not in Eden. We are left of Eden. Not only that, though. So we are outside of Eden, but we're this side of the new city, the new heavens, the new earth. Right? We're, we are not in that new city yet. So what, what's, what is this going to do? If I know where we are in the story, I'm not in Eden and I'm not in the new city yet, then where I am in the story, what it will do is it will lessen the surprise of pain. Some of us are shocked, shocked, I tell you, when pain has the audacity to walk through our front door uninvited. But, but, but if you know where you are in the story, I'm not in Eden, we are not in that new city, then what it does is it lets you know that pain is normal for where we are in the story. Now, this isn't fatalistic resignation. And what I mean by that, we don't just say, uh, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to lie here and let pain roll me over because that's where I am in the story. Or, oh, well, I guess it's my turn, my number's up, pain's hitting me. Right? It's, it's like the old uh, joke. Um, what did the Calvinist say when he fell down the stairs? I'm glad that's over. It's not that fatalistic resignation. Right? Um, what we do is we recognize where we are in the story while fighting back the pain and the struggle and the injustice. I, I think a scriptural Christian fights back every pain-causing element. And I call it garden work. At least we're mimicking what was happening in the garden, right? We're always weed-whacking the encroaching weeds. We're always sanding down what has gotten weather-worn and scratched. We're always painting again another coat. We're always running and walking and stretching. And we are fighting the thousands of different ways of, of, of racist, racist injustice. Right? Systemically and economically and through insurance and real estate and education, right? We're always fighting that back, fighting that back, knowing, oh, oh, oh. At the very same time, because we know where we are in the story, we're going to fight the pain. It actually helps us know the limits of what our fighting against the evil and the pain will do. If you don't know the limits, of what your good works will do, it will always throw you into despair. 
So when we put all of our energies right into corrective work, redemptive work, helpful work, things that stop bad things from happening, and, and then when it doesn't achieve it or go fully all the way, what it does is it actually doubly hurts us. Uh, we get jaded more. We, we actually get more cynical. We get more scoffing, more protective. But if you know, if you know this, okay, I am in the age of suffering on this side of Eden and on this side of the new city, uh, then, then you can fight for good things while realizing that your fight won't be the thing for the full fixing, the full eradication of all the pain and all the suffering. So um, why does a caring community talk about suffering a lot, right? We're in the age of suffering and because we suffer both individually and corporately. Uh, the third thing, why does a caring community talk about suffering? Um, God and all of his word speaks into our suffering. It is very difficult to find a page of scripture that doesn't touch on suffering in some way. And it tells us God knows the suffering and he is not silent inside of the suffering. He has an entire corpus of scriptures that speak into our suffering. And in those three small ways, right? He knows that it is normal inside of this age, in this, in this part of the story. And at the same time, he knows that is abnormal. It is abnormal to his original designs in Eden, and it is abnormal to where his creation is going to end up in the new city. He knows it's normal in this age, and that's why he's speaking into it through scripture. The, the second thing is that the scriptures know that suffering, especially as God's children, will never destroy us. Right? Pain can never supersede God's care, God's plan, God's power. Uh, the, the Israel had this line, um, especially in the Exodus, that they said, um, you brought us out here in the desert, the wilderness, to kill us. And God speaks into that and says, no, 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 no. My care will never destroy you. It will only bring you ultimate life. So we need the scriptures for that reminder. The third thing the scriptures do is they know this relentlessly, is they know that God is shaping our story and the story of his creation, all of his creation, into only wholeness, only goodness, only fullness, only only joy. Right? The bad actor does not win. The bad actor does not and cannot derail the plan of God. Even our own selves cannot derail our own selves or even God's story. So God in all of his word speaks into our suffering. That's why we talk about, a caring community talks about suffering a lot. Okay, so what I've just said in those first three little points, uh, that's good and true about why we talk about suffering. But it feels this, it, you could hear that and it just feels simply like a reminder. Like, remember, this is normal. Remember, we're in a time where suffering is will always be present. And remember, God is gonna work it out for us. And that's very, very true. It's very good, but but it can't stop there. It can't stop there. It wouldn't It wouldn't be enough, all right? We, would, uh, we wouldn't think this, or we couldn't think that, where is the good happening now? 
Like we could think that all those reminders are forward-looking statements of possibility, but what what is happening now that is good for me in the suffering? So, so why does a caring community talk about suffering a lot? Because I think that's, and these are the last two points, I think suffering, especially in talking about suffering in a caring community, it will give us two things that, that, that none of our friends outside of the knowing of Jesus will ever have access to or possess. And now this is where Romans 5 is that delicious, gooey patty melt, butter toasted, gooey cheese, caramelized onions with the french fries dropped in beef towel. There are no saltine crackers here in Romans 5. Paul thinks this. We have this possibility to own and possess something in the middle of our suffering. Okay? And for the most part, um, and and that, that thing is joy. So, I would say this. For the most part, an educated American equates favorable circumstances with general happiness. And if they're generally happy, then there's a there's a rightness with the world, right? Like there's a rightness with self. I'm pretty happy with myself and I'm pretty happy with the world and the world is pretty happy with me and my friends and my family are happy with me and I'm happy with them and and I perceive that God is probably pretty happy with me if there are favorable circumstances. So, I would I would I would say favorable circumstances is a good term for happiness. It's getting control of your life using whatever variables you can, getting control of your life so that you can keep your circumstances favorable. There's a website, and I'm not making this up, but there's a website, um, happiness.com. It's a real website. And you're going to have to register to get some of this stuff. Uh, but, but there's an aggregate of all of these external external variables that you can control where you can achieve, find, and maintain real happiness, right? Where you can get favorable circumstances that will result in your happiness. And for the most part, I was amazed by how much I agreed with them. And so the aggregate data from this website came up with five, top five general components that contribute to your happiness of having favorable circumstances. So let, let me just go through the top five. One is this. The number one is, it almost sounds like Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit, but number one is this. Get possession of important basics. So that could be food, shelter, health, safety. That's number one. Get possession of those things, and that's the first step towards happiness. Two, oddly enough, get enough sleep. Not hyper-secret, these are. Uh, Three, find relationships that matter to you. Four, take compassionate care of other people and yourself. Five, find work that interests you and engages you. Uh, The top five components for finding happiness, where your circumstances are generally and uh, your favorable where you have favorable circumstances. Okay, so I want you to listen to this part. Uh, yourself, like ach- finding happiness, achieving or finding those components, um, y- you can justify yourself through favorable circumstances. 
right? You can be justified by favorable circumstances. And, and I'll show you how. Like, when I have favorable circumstances, I'm at peace with myself. I've got no problems. I have a high self-esteem, a high self-worth and value. I, I don't have self-contempt or self-loathing. When there are favorable circumstances, I'm actually reconciled. Like I'm good with my peer group and my neighbors and my family members, and and uh, they think well of me, and I think well of them. When there are favorable circumstances, um, I have access to God. When I have favorable circumstances, I perceive that He is not far and that He is happy with me because the favorable circumstances are the proof of the pudding. Um, I can have optimism when I have favorable circumstances. I can even want God's glory when I have favorable circumstances. Well, you know, as long as he takes care of my glory first. So, so this is what Paul says in Romans 5, and this is really the meat of what we're getting at here in our time. He says, okay, okay, hold on there, hold on there. Let me tell you something radical that will not just speak to you, but it's going to speak to the most humans who have ever lived. It's going to speak to the most people in the most centuries, in the most places. Number one on happiness.com's list. Just possessed important basics. Food, health, shelter, safety. For most people in all of history, number one was never fulfilled. They did not get possession of food, shelter, health, or safety. See, getting favorable circumstances is a historical lottery. Most people, most countries on the globe now haven't had number one fulfilled on happiness.com's list. If you've traveled abroad in any capacity outside of a vacation, how do you think a conversation would go with a local when you start in on finding, when you start in on them and say, I really think you need to find work that interests you and engages you and is derived from your passions they would look at you as if you were bonkers. Were, were people in history, were they doomed not to fulfill happiness.com's list? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Is most of the world that we are living in now doomed not to have favorable circumstances or even accomplish one if two two steps of happiness.com's list are they doomed now most countries most people around the globe well yeah we have to be honest about that but this is what Paul is saying is for every single person. Joy can be...
You may be doomed of favorable circumstances, but you can have joy. See, Paul doesn't say we're joyful um, because we have suffering. Like, yay, I have pain coming. No, 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 no. That's, that's weird masochism. No, he says this. Uh, there is something possible to be had in the middle of the hard. There is something to possess when the circumstances are not favorable. How is that possible? Well, Paul puts it this way. You rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You rejoice in this hope in goodness that doesn't change. Now, what I just said, you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that sounds like a Christian bookstore magnet if you just leave it there and you don't explain it. But we're going to tap in a little deeper. Why? Because this. Because Paul says, God himself makes you right with yourself and with your others and with world and with with himself and your favorable circumstances don't make you right right think of this God says I'm going to make you right with yourself and you're not going to be left with your self-contempt and your self-loathing and your despair and your lowness of self-esteem and feeling like you have no value and worth and it's not based on your car or your health or your position or your reputation. I'm just going to base how you are with yourself on me. Right? You're, I'm going to make you right with others because guess what? Your fortunes can wildly swing the other way where everyone avoids you and stops calling you and stops texting you and removes you from all of the lists. Right? Favorable circumstances gain you with others. But when the months go by and your phone is silent, you realize this, my entrance with other people in community, especially a Jesus-following community, will not be on my favorable circumstances. My justification of why I can be in here in this community will be because of Jesus and not what I've done or will do. See, now we're getting at the heart of why talking about suffering builds a caring community. Our joy for ourselves, our joy for each other, our joy of God won't be based on favorable circumstances. That's how we can move towards someone who is in shambles, filled with grief, flawed, deeply broken, annoying, awkward. How can we do that? Why? The favorable circumstances are not the indicators or the prerequisites for kindness, knowing, or walking with. So this, our rightness, our rightness of mind, of heart, our security is made through God, and it's not going to be made through our favorable circumstances. Then Paul says something else in Romans uh, 5, in verses 3 and 4. He says, all right, so we can possess joy, and it's based on his work, not ours, um, but we can have hope. So we can have joy and hope. Uh, and we can have hope that something is being built in us 
not just because we will ultimately get fixed, but because there's something being fixed in me now, experientially, in real time, that doesn't wait until the end of days. It's happening now. And I think this might be helpful. Paul has two streams of thought in Romans 5, especially in those first five verses. And those two streams of thought are, okay, how are we made right with God? That's number one. And then that second stream of thought is, okay, now I'm going to talk about suffering and its connection to how we're made right with God. And he ties them together. He ultimately just ties them together. So look at this graphic. All right. This, Paul's going to talk about how you are made right with God. So he says this, um, the rightness that you have with yourself, with God, and with others happens by faith. Like, you didn't help yourself. You didn't make yourself at peace. It was the cross. It was the work of Jesus. And then he says this, and that gives you peace, right? It gives you peace with God. It gives you peace with yourself. It gives you peace with others. Right, uh, it, it it makes you acceptable. It makes when you get go into a room, uh, you go into that room under the confidence that you've been made right off sight from you. And then he says this, and that gives you access. That get that gives you VIP access to the grace of God. All right, that's that what makes you can show up in a community in a church of people. That's where we are now. We have access to the grace of God in so many ways because of that justification that happens through faith. And then he says, "What does that what does that give you?" He says, "It gives you just this hope. I have hope." Like the glory of God, I have a, I, I, it builds in that God, it builds in me that God is going to make all things right. He has made things right, and He will make all things right. Okay, now that's just like how we're made right with God. That's what Paul says. And now look at this second graphic because it's almost like he starts talking about suffering and it seems like a non sequitur, but, but let's look at how he ties in, how we're made right with God and suffering. So he says this in the second graphic. There's going to be a day when your favorable circumstances are going to blow up. And Paul says this, I think in the middle of your favorable circumstances blowing up, you're going to be able to have a little something called joy. Now, why is that the case? He's linking it to how we're made right with God. Because what happens when a bad thing comes to you, when your favorable circumstances fall apart? You get cancer, or there's a scandal, or there's a great reversal of fortunes. What happens? There's a double injury. There's the thing that is bad. And then there's the thing that exposes how you are making yourself right. So the bad thing is bad enough, but then what does it communicate to your heart and to your soul and to your community? Well, for most people, the bad thing happens and then... I feel bad. I feel worthless. My friends and my family members look at me with more doubt. I am not justified. My greater community shrinks away. 
See, see, Paul understands that our favorable circumstances have been justified. And he says, but if you know that you're justified somewhere else and you're standing with God and yourself and others in the world and community is somewhere else, then inside of things blowing up, you can have joy because you know, oh, my rightness is okay. My rightness is untouched. My reconciliation is untouched. My peace is untouched. What does that lead to? Paul says this. It leads to a perseverance. If you're not here to kill me in the desert, then I know that I will receive scars, but I will survive. And in that survival, go to the next graphic, what is something? Character is built, right? Something is formed, a wholeness is formed, a greater beauty is formed, a depth is formed. And let me get specific, is if you have gone through pain, you end up being a better friend. If you've gone through pain, you are able to do things that are not just expedient, but they are full of integrity and they're wise. If you've been through pain, you're able now to do something that is unpopular with the populace. And you can move close and be a solid friend that doesn't bail and run away when every other friend does. What happens when you've been able to go through pain? Well, you're able to endure more pain. And when that's the case, you will actually be able to choose something that is full of self-harm if you know it will deliver smiles and relief to someone else. What does it do for the person that you gave relief for knowing that it came through personal injury? despair is pulled from them and you have given them a little shred of something we call hope is that oh it won't always be like this it won't always be like this because I've experienced this it will give you poise it will give you power it'll give you empathy it's what we call character or what Paul calls character and then it gives us hope Paul says this, it will build the greater thing, hope in the glory of God and not my own glory and pride. I I, I know this. The wilderness and the suffering is hard and it is inhospitable. I hate the desert. But more is always happening in the wilderness and in the desert than just bad things. How is that? Pride can never survive in the desert. My glory can never survive there. Uh, Because if myself cannot fix the desert, If it could fix the desert, I would be somewhere else. But I've found something else in the desert. It's like, I can't fix the desert. But God meets me in the desert, Him, Himself. And He will not let me go anywhere else until I trust that He's good. 
we constantly talk about suffering in a caring community. Why? Because it touches the very nerve of how we're made right with God. Is it made right through our favorable circumstances? Or is it made right through God Himself and Jesus? And so when we talk of suffering, we're always talking of it because we always end up near Jesus Himself, our suffering servant. So a prayer for you today, a prayer for me. Oh God, our Father, do not let us leave this desert. Help us in this desert. Do not let us escape this wilderness and this suffering and this pain unless we leave it with you. That's the prayer I pray for us. I don't want that on some days. But but the longing of my soul wants you more than anything else. And so hear us and help us. Help us to never stop talking about suffering so that our love expands for each other in thousands of ways. Landing near you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.